sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hate does not know religion, race, creed, political party. It's not a political issue in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't just an attack upon the Jewish community. This was an attack upon America. They've been going since October 13th. There's a lot of coughing here. They've got blisters on their feet. It's been tough, but they say that they're not accepting Mexico's offer for temporary uh, asylum, temporary jobs, temporary health care, and they're definitely not heeding President Trump's warnings to not show up at the border. They all say they're coming, and they're going to show up on the border. And now, Stacey Washington. Yeah, that's right. Happy Monday to you. Welcome to the program here on American Family Radio at Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you. Um, All across the country, it's Monday, and I hope your day has started off just awesome. It's a really jam-packed news day. I'm coming off of the heels of listening to Sarah Sanders throw down from behind the podium at a live press, press briefing that she had today. But I want to launch right into something that I think is super important in times like these on a day like today after the weekend we've had. And I have a lot of news and information for you. We're going to welcome Amber Athey, media and breaking news reporter for The Daily Caller. She's going to be on the program today to talk to us about uh, Ebony Magazine ignoring black women running for office. But right now, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, You know what's coming next, Psalm 46, 1 through 3. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our high tower. He is our strength. Psalm 91, 6 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Why are we talking about God being our refuge and fortress? Well, actually, I thought that would be the theme for this week for our daily confessions. And I kind of was batting that around a little bit and really loving the idea of going from who God says we are to, because he never says bad things about us, to who he is. And then we had this weekend, which it's just been one story after another of deranged individuals with evil in their hearts going out and doing things that most of us find appalling and horrifying. But there's a reason for everything under the sun. And none of these things surprise God. God is not on the throne sitting up there surprised that evil men would take it upon themselves to kill in a synagogue or to mail, you know, real or faux bombs to political types. It, it, none of these things shock God. But what we can count on is that he is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our strength, our ever-present help in time of danger. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. Even in these really, it's a, it's a sad and it's the time where we have to go to the Lord in prayer and especially intercede on behalf of those good people who were just attending services in a synagogue when the gunman came in and spent 20 minutes shooting 11 people and injuring many more. And we know that God is able to do above all that we dare ask or think according to the power that works in us. And we are grateful for that. Um, for who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? I, I want us to meditate on that. That's why it's today's daily confession, that God is our refuge and our strength. And we have to meditate on that, especially in times like these. And um, I'm, I'm going to be bringing you some 
audio, hopefully the actual person, David Barton of Wall Builders. So I, last week was like a whirly bird of pastors, uh, appreciation, prayer luncheons and things like that, where I was able to attend as a me- member of the media. And on one of the events on Friday, I was actually able to attend as a um, as a person as the MC. And then Saturday I spoke at St. Louis university to the students for life workshop event that they had there. And it was just a a really great time to meet with these high school students and college students who were gathered together for a day long workshop to strategize the pro-life movement. And so we're going to cover that a little bit on the show today, how this is the most pro-life generation study showing that these kids are actually the, the highest percentage of them that think, millennials that think that abortion is a sin. And when we get into that conversation, we're also going to talk about, I went last night with a good friend of mine, dear friend, um, actually my chicken Marsala friend from last week. You guys remember she had me over for lunch and fed me chicken Marsala. Yeah, that friend. So we went to the movies last night and we saw Gosnell and the movie was, I mean, it was horrifying, but it was also so well done that I was able to sit through it. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, of course you were able to sit through it. You watched all the videos from David Daleiden and, and, you know, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I actually wanted to go on a weekend and watch a movie like that, but it's well done. It's done like an episode of CSI or um, an episode of Law and Order. And so there are horrifying moments, but it's also extraordinarily informative. And it's a great example uh, for you to see on the screen of courage, real courage, where when told that this could jeopardize your career, when told that this could be something that prevents you from going, you know, places you might want to go with your career, or it might make you a pariah in your profession, individuals who heard that and were attacked personally in, the, in public went forward anyway, because they believed that what he was doing there was illegal and barbaric and had to be stopped. Um, not just because it, it was in spite of their own personal beliefs. And that's what makes the story so interesting. So I encourage you, it's still in theaters. Uh, don't be told that it's sold out at your theater. There's been all kinds of shenanigans surrounding the film. It's so popular that all of the previews before the film were for big new releases that are coming out shortly within the next 12 months. The biggest blockbuster films that they're counting on making the most money on were promoted before Gosnell came, you know, before the the commencement of the film. And my friend and I were just like marveling over that because, you know, if a film is like what we call a B film or it's about to leave the the theater, they'll often not put the the best promos they have in front of it because they don't think anybody's in the seats to see it. So it's, it's it's a masterfully well done movie. I encourage you not to give in to that spirit that says to you, you know what, I'm just, I already, news is bad enough. I don't need to see this. I read about it in the newspaper. We all read about the story in online media. We all saw the videos and, and um, you know, testimonials of people who'd been involved in the story. We all saw all of it. We were all tip of the spear on that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my audience here now, people who are well-informed. Um, but this is different. This is you seeing how we, a Republican governor was complicit and allowing Gosnell to do what he did, a Republican governor. Um, and so I don't want to spoil it for you, but I, you've got to go see the film if you haven't seen it. The other thing that was so amazing about seeing it up on the screen, because I'm totally, I'm supposed to be covering this later, but I, I'm, I'm into it now. The other thing was seeing so many people that I know, Scotty Nell Hughes, Al- Alfonso Rochelle, um, Dean Kane, you know, 
and seeing in the credits other people, Nick Searcy, good good friend, Nick Searcy, all of this work done by people that I know, uh, Anne Morrell, um, just it was just it's well done. And and the acting is not it's not like, you know, how sometimes you check a movie out at the library or something and something you've never seen. And then 10 minutes in, you're like, oh, I know I never saw this, this movie's horribly done. It's not even you know, it looks like it was shot in somebody's backyard. It's not like that. It's a professionally produced Hollywood quality film made by conservatives and they deserve your eyeballs. So uh, check it out before it leaves the theaters. I actually think it'll be there for a little while longer because it's been so immensely popular. A note on the audience who was sitting in the room with us, there were some older people there. Um, There were some teenage boys there who came as a group to watch it. And there was a black couple with a small child who fell asleep probably a quarter of the way through the movie. And um, then just a lot of other like, you know, what looked like regular people. And the theater was pretty full. It was the smaller theater inside the one that we went to. Um, but it was definitely well attended. And I just think it's worth your time to go see. So consider doing that. Um, so we have a little bit more time here. where I want to talk about what we're going to be sharing with you in bits and bobs over the next few weeks. Um, well, until November 11th, we have this fantastic National Collection Week, which is almost here for... Operation Christmas Child. So Operation Christmas Child has delivered and collected gift fill shoeboxes to more than 157 million children since the project began in 1993. Now, you might do this through your church. And so if so, God bless. But if you don't have a an opportunity to be involved with Operation Christmas Child, we would love for you to do it with us here at AFA and American Family Radio. So what you can do is share the good news and great joy of Jesus by packing gift-filled shoeboxes for children who are affected by war, poverty, disaster, famine, and disease around the world. And this is a project of Samaritan's Purse. And so you can get packing. National Collection Week is November 12th through 19th. You can drop off your shoebox at more than at one of nearly 5,000 collection sites. There are 5,000 collection sites. So there is one near you. And This is so easy and fun to do. And if you have kids in your life, kids love to help with this. You go buy the items. Um, It's a $9 per shoebox gift donation online. And you can also follow your box and receive a QR code to find out what city and country the child that received your gift is actually located in. And the hope this year is to collect enough gifts for 11 million children this year. 11 million kids is... Almost twice the population of, well, we're at 5.8. Yeah, it's just a little under the population, twice the population of the the entire state of Missouri. That's a lot of kids. And I would love to uh, just, we need you to do it. So definitely um, go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC and get started there. And it'll be a really, it's a great opportunity for us. Um, to partner together to change the lives of of some really great kids at Christmas time. So additionally on the show today, I have some audio of this guy who admits that he's an attempted murderer and he's in the caravan and he's on his way to the United States. And I wanted to give you updates if you're just kind of cranking back up after a weekend away from news and politics. There was last week I reported 800 troops were going to go to the southern border to supplement the National Guard troops from around the country, from different states who have been dispatched. And remember, we already have a substantial force of individuals who are employed by Immigrations and Customs and Border Patrol who already work on our southern border. Well, it turns out that that 800 troops has now been upped to 5,000. And I saw additional media, which I didn't pull for today, uh, of 
Secretary, Department of Homeland Security Secretary um, Kirsten Nielsen kind of cleaning up her comments from last week. Remember, I was a little miffed last week that she said, we're going to send our troops down there and they're going to be unarmed. And, you know, it just made it sound like they were going down for, you know, tea and crumpets. And, and that's not what our troops are there for. Well, it turns out they actually do have plans. They're mobilizing equipment that's been sent down there. They're still in the process of getting that down there. And they're also, with 5,000 troops, going to be a much stronger presence in case they actually have to close the border all the way, like shut it down, no no crossings whatsoever, uh, which is interesting to me because I'm wondering how, I guess, the additional troops will be the ones to seal up the portions of the border that are porous, that are currently unmonitored. What are they going to do? Maybe some of the equipment they've sent down include drones. I can tell you it's a public relations nightmare for the president because our media is arrayed against him, and they'll go down there, and they'll lay in wait and find small kids and take pictures of small kids crying while a border patrol agent is telling their parents to turn around or telling the mother you have to go back and people will be screaming and crying and laying on the ground and people will be acting as if our troops are doing things to them. And it, there's, there seems to be looking around in the natural, no way that the president can win on this and it's his signature issue, but there is a way he can win. If we win this in prayer on our knees, asking the Father to give him the solutions and give him the cooperation of those who have been placed under his authority, and that this would be resolved in a way that glorifies God but still maintains our national sovereignty. And that is those two things are not mutually exclusive. They can happen. And so I'm I'm not only hopeful, I am right now here, I'm acknowledging that that is not only possible, but that God can absolutely use this to further his aims and at the southern border of our country, which is that we would not be facilitators of human trafficking and that our border would be sealed. Um, so that's what we have to pray for. And that's what I'd like to do right now. We're about to go out into the break. And so I just want to go to the Father and ask him for his special hand of blessing and anointing on this situation. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the chance to rely on you in prayer. I thank you for being my Father and knowing everything that I need. And as an American, I pray for our president. I pray for his guidance and I pray for strength and wisdom and that everyone who is in his chain of command would follow his orders directly and that you would protect our troops and our border patrol men and women and that you would resolve this issue at our southern border. I pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll be back with more right after this music. Stay there. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. 
Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there. twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. During our parenting years, one of the values Karen and I had was raising our kids to take care of themselves, to be self-sufficient. We encouraged them to be responsible, to work, and to use their money wisely. We knew that one day they'd be on their own and, and have to know how to take care of themselves. Today, it does our hearts good to see them embracing responsibility and handling their affairs. It's good to stand on your own two feet, isn't it? But on the other hand, don't kid yourself. Self-sufficiency is really a relative expression. We might be self-sufficient compared to other people, but the bottom line is this. None of us is really self-sufficient. We need others and we need God. Only God is completely self-sufficient. He needs no one or nothing else. I'm drawn to this verse in Job chapter 41, verse 11, where God describes himself. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Think about that. God says, what? Do you think I have need? Who do I need to go to to ask for something? Whose door do I need to knock on? Or what banker do I need to see? What farmer do I need to visit? God says, I need nothing. I am self-sufficient. He says, I'm obligated to no one who has given to me that I should repay him. Here's what I want you to remember today. No matter how resourceful and independent we are, we will always need others and will never outgrow our need to depend on God. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm really excited about speaking to our next guest, um, Amber. Her name's Amber Assey. She's a media and breaking news reporter for The Daily Caller, one of our favorite news orgs. Um, and we're going to talk about Ebony Magazine and this penchant they have for ignoring black women if they happen to be on the political right. Amber, thank you so much. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so let's dive in. Why? are I mean, I just I don't understand why they can't even mention. Like, does it actually physically hurt if you're in the media and you, I don't know, say, just acknowledge the fact that some women who are black are running on the Republican side? Does it actually physically hurt? Yeah, apparently it does. Um, <laughs> Ebony ran this piece saying meet the 18 black women who are running for Congress, uh, which suggested that the list was exhaustive. However, when you read through the story, you realize that every single person that they listed was a Democrat. And there are currently six black Republican women running for office, including Mia Love, who, of course, is an incumbent running for re-election in Utah. So... <laughs> As I as I read through the piece, I was kind of shocked that they chose to just leave out um, eight uh, six black women. And it seems like these liberal women's magazines are all for inclusion and intersectionality until they're not. Until the woman that we're talking about is a conservative or a Republican, then then all of a sudden 
they apparently deserve to be erased from history. And so, Amber, I just I want to point out that um, another thing that is really striking uh, specifically about Mia Love is that coming from Utah, which doesn't have a huge population of black Americans, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just, you know, speaking from what census data census data tells us. Mia Love is elected by primarily a white electorate that decides on its own without any force or coercion to send her to Congress on their behalf. So it's really one of those statements about Barack Obama talked a lot about these white states and minority states with small populations and rural voters, people who'd never interacted with black people, people who deserve to have an influx of immigrants come into their town and teach them about diversity and people who didn't believe in, you know, equal protection of their law. He really was nasty to people who live in states like Utah. But Utah sends me a love to Congress. They, she, this isn't her first rodeo. She's incumbent. She's trying to go back. What, what does that say about the narrative that the left continually foists upon us that white Americans are just so racist and they just never met a black person they liked? Yeah, I mean, I think what it says is that this narrative is bunk. And mm-hmm. the reality is that when voters are looking for someone to put into office, they're looking for someone who's qualified. They're looking for someone who represents the policies that they support. And race, religion, and creed and all of that doesn't really matter. Um, they want someone who represents them and in the way that they want their government to work and to support policies that are going to help them. And this idea that someone's color has anything to do with policies that they support is just ridiculous. And in terms of women's magazines, this is not the first time that they've done this. Cosmopolitan recently highlighted um, women who are running for office and again left out a vast majority of the Republican women who are running. First Lady Melania Trump has not been on the cover of a fashion magazine since Trump took office. Of course, Michelle Obama was on something like half a dozen of them. Um, So this decision, this um, effort to keep conservative women out of fashion magazines, out um, out of women's literature, I think is just sickening. It is. And I, I think it's especially sickening when, you know, Melania Trump, before her husband's political aspirations, were, you know, came to full bear, she was regularly lauded as one of the most fashionable women in the country. And she was once a supermodel. So um, her fashion sense hasn't changed at all. And I think it, I mean, I'm, I would dare say some of her outfits that she's worn abroad for some of these meetings, like her walking across the cobblestone uh, courtyard in England in that yellow outfit. It was a gown with a I don't know if the cape mm-hmm. was built in, but the the cape, she looked like she was actually the royalty there. And it was a stunning photo photograph. I mean, it was it was one of those dreams for magazine editors who are looking for something pictorially rich and gorgeous that could make a splash in a magazine and really the you know, the keeper magazine, the one you never recycle, the one you keep it forever and show it to your grandkids. And they didn't even they didn't even note that she made that fashion choice, which uh, traditionally, it's the Queen of England who wears these super bright colors because she always wants her her uh, subjects to be able to say that they saw her, even if it's a, the corner of her hat or the corner of her coat, they can say that they actually saw her. And Melania Trump, in a nod to her, wears this, it's like goldenrod yellow, floor length. She's almost six feet tall. She's in heels. She's got the also the cape or whatever the formal name of that thing was. And it was just, I mean, and it's not the only time she's been really fashion forward since she's been um, 
the first lady. I want to just list this name. This I want to give the list of the other women because we talked about Congresswoman Mia Love. She's running for re-election in Utah's fourth. Aja Smith is running for California's 41st congressional district. So that's a hugely momentous occasion to have a black woman running in, you know, hardcore liberal California. Virginia Fuller running for Florida's fifth. Liz Mattery running in Maryland's second congressional district. Janae Butler running in New York's 13th. And Charlotte Bergman running in Tennessee's ninth congressional district. These are all momentous districts that could be wonderful for uh, either party to, to take. And these women just happen to be of the permanent tan like me. Yeah, exactly. And Charlotte Bergman is actually um, someone who has ties to Hollywood, which is it's already, I guess, somewhat rare. Um, for there to be a black Republican woman running for office, but then to also have someone who has ties to Hollywood, you obviously expect Hollywood to be more liberal, and they tend to shun people who come out as conservative. J.C. Dash is a great example of that. She, of course, played Dion in the hit movie Clueless, and she Mm -hmm. came out as Republican a few years ago and said she lost all of her friends in Hollywood because of it. Um, There's this orthodoxy on the left that if you're in the arts and entertainment issue, uh, industry, if you're not liberal, then you don't have a heart. And they all gal pal around at these Planned Parenthood fundraisers, and they go to liberal charity events together. And anyone who dares to, to not toe that line is stunned. Uh, look at Kanye West. He visited the White House with a MAGA hat on, and now cable news is mocking him as being mentally ill and trying to diagnose him um, from the cable news anchor chair when none of these people have psychology <laughs> or, or psychiatric degrees. Um, it's just really crazy how anyone, um, everyone has to be tied to their identity, to their race, and they can't, or their gender, and they can't be anything different than what liberals say. And yet somehow conservatives are the ones who are trying to box people in. And also totally racist. Don't forget that, Amber. I mean, you, right. you know, if you're a Republican, you eat. If you're black, you hate yourself. If you're a Republican, and if you're white, you are not only just a regular dyed-in-the-wool racist, like a regular run-of-the-mill one. You're someone who your whole family's racist, your kids are racist, any babies you might have are racist, and you need to have everything that you own taken from you and redistributed to people who you don't know. And obviously, because you support Donald Trump, you're also deplorable, and you know any other uh, negative adjective that can be leveled against you. I just I I guess for me it's much more basic than the the rudimentary trolldom that seems to dominate the media right now. Amber, it, does it just hurt to acknowledge these women are there? I mean, what I'm saying is just to list them, even if your profile isn't puffy, just to ad- just to admit that they're running and that they're black or I guess it's because they're not black because they're running on the right. I think that's part of it. I think Ebony would very much like to consider these people to be traitors to their race. But more than that, I think they didn't mention them because perhaps they're scared. I think they're scared that if they admit to their readers that there are six black female Republicans running for office, then, hey, maybe there's something to this conservatism thing and maybe we should check it out. That's the last thing they want is their readers discovering um, that conservatism in many ways actually helps women. And, um, you know, as a woman myself who is conservative, I've been called a traitor to my gender so many times. I recently gave a speech at American University talking about due process and how we shouldn't automatically believe all women who have sexual assault claims. And I had liberal men lecturing me about how I was a bad woman for saying that. 
Um, so the left loves to tell other people what they're allowed to think just based solely on immutable characteristics. Okay, so I'm going to say that the fact that they left the Republican women out, you, you made a good point there, Amber, that there may be something to this whole conservative thing. The fact that they left them out is an acknowledgement that there's something to conservatism. There's something interesting about it. There's something that might convince you or entice you or even look interesting something. There's something to it because they feel like they have to hide it in order to win against it. They can't win against conservatism with their own ideas or policies or successes. Right. And if you read the profile on Ebony Magazine, they didn't even mention the fact that all of the women that they listed were Democrats. It was basically just assumed. Um, And if you read the profile of each person, it didn't say specifically in there what policies they wanted to promote. Um, And so there was this assumption that every black woman who runs for office has to be a Democrat. And I think that their readers, um, one, they should be charitable enough to their readers to let them know that there are Republican women running for Congress and that they should be allowed to explore those ideas. And if they don't like them, then they can challenge them with their own ideas. But ignoring them entirely tells me that they're worried that their readers are not going to be able to decide for themselves what the best policies for them are. It's actually very um, infantilizing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, if we let you know that um, these black women are running, then you'll know that you don't have to run for Congress as a Democrat. And we don't want you finding that out. Like it's that. Right. I mean, wow. So, and so just tell me, have you ever seen a Republican get away with down talking or, or, you know, that kind of behavior towards any minority group, you know, so white women, um, black women and men, you know, Asian men and women, any, any group that's a, you know, listed group, that a Republican could say, well, you know, because you don't really understand these concepts anyway, so you need the Republicans to explain to you or something of that nature. I've never seen that fly on the right. No, and you know that that would never fly because whenever President Donald Trump says something somewhat critical or negative to a female reporter, even though he does that to all reporters, all of a sudden the narrative in the Chiron on CNN is that Trump has a problem with female reporters. You would never see that same thing be criticized by uh, from someone on the left, they can basically talk to people however they want. But as mm. soon as Trump criticizes a woman, even though, I mean, give me a break. President Donald Trump calls Jim Acosta fake news to his face. He's constantly battling with reporters from CNN and MSNBC. To suggest that he has a problem with just women is simply not accurate. He has a problem with all journalists in general. But it's an easy way for the left to paint him as sexist if they suggest that he's being condescending to women. When the reality is that most of the media reporters who question him, they come at him with an attitude like, well, you know, here's my chance to smash your face in the dirt and get on CNN later on tonight. And it it just defies all logic that you wouldn't be able to see that if you're in his place. So it's not as if President Trump is completely oblivious to when he's being spoken down to himself or when he's being asked a question that's a setup to make him look like he hates different groups or is just plain evil. And so when he strikes back, it's almost as if they're saying on the left, women aren't equal to men. They can't handle the same treatment that men get from president Trump. And I believe he treats the women the same way as the men, because he does believe women are equal and that they can handle it. Definitely. And that's a great point that the media is 
suggesting that women are in a, are unable to take criticism from the president at the same level as men. That's actually more sexist than yeah. talking to women reporters the same way that he talks to male reporters. And you brought up a great point about um, how the president can recognize the questioning from the media as being biased. Um, after this, this uh, synagogue shooting and the pipe bomb incident this past week, um, the president was immediately blamed by cable news outlets for inciting these incidences with his rhetoric. And then the media got upset when he suggested that the media was responding in a divisive manner by trying to blame him. So there's this disconnect between the media where they're constantly attacking the president, but as soon as they get the small iota of, of response back, then all of a sudden Trump is the instigator, Trump is the attacker. Well, I don't think he looked bad at all. Um, I, I mean, he'd maybe look bad if you're a triggered snowflake. But if you're someone who really believes that women can take tough questions, they can take tough answers. If you really believe that women reporters are equal to male reporters, then you know that people who are tough with the male reporters will be tough with the women and the women will welcome it because it means they're a part of the greater collegial group, that they're a part of the the press corps. Um, I'm, I want to say thanks for your work. Thank you for pointing this out, for doing the heavy lifting for Ebony Magazine of making the list. I tweeted them during the show and <laughs> told them that you did their job for them. And hopefully lots of people will retweet it and make them feel really, really, really silly for leaving all of the black Republican women off the list. Well, thanks for having me, Stacey, and I appreciate that. All right. Hope to talk to you again soon. Have a great week. You too. So Amber Athey over at The Daily Caller, regularly doing the work that other media folks won't do, um, head over to Twitter. I'm Stacy on the right on Twitter. Retweet that. And let's see if Ebony Magazine can at least acknowledge, maybe just on Twitter, that they might have printed the story before they had the entire thing completed. Um, and I also posted the story on Facebook that Amber wrote for The Daily Caller. And you can check that out. Um, it's at the Stacy on the right show Facebook page and you can click there. You can also see all the old live streams and any any other cool stuff. I put a lot of stories up over there um, and some of the ones that I cover on the show, I put those up there too. And the reason I do that is because sometimes you're wanting to kind of go back and say, okay, she said X, but I need, I need verification on that or where did she find that? I try to put those up on the Facebook page so you can find them and click through and read them for yourself. Um, and a lot of people share those with me in DMs on Facebook, and I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, it, it, it's there for you to check out. Um, so uh, it's it's important to note that if Ebony Magazine had taken the time to include the Republican women, Amber Athey wouldn't have had to write the story about this, and they wouldn't have to be sitting up there with egg on their faces. And I do believe they have egg on their faces. They might not think so, but we all know how that is. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. Doesn't mean there's no God. It just means the one guy's a fool, right? <laughs> All right. We'll be back with more right after this. One of the first steps to becoming a Christian is recognizing our sinful nature. What makes this so difficult is that we have selective vision when it comes to our own issues. It's easy for me to see your faults, but when it comes to seeing my own, then my eyesight automatically gets bad. 
Once you're far away, to measure new birth in Christ is by opened eyes and a clear vision. Sometimes we can pass between having sight and having no sight because we have fallen asleep to the needs around us, or our perspective on those things that are eternal is distorted. Whatever the case, there is nothing more dangerous than having blurred vision and still thinking that it's clear. Don't measure your vision by your own standards. It will be warped and distorted every time, but rather measure it by God's standards. God desires that our eyesight remains clear. So how is your eyesight today? With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've seen God open up so many doors for us to help serve and love those who get affected by a natural disaster. As the trees and the wind started crashing down around us, my wife was, of course, very diligently praying, you know, Lord, please be with us. Very simply, we do it because God commands us to love others. I see these volunteers all as a gift from God. And I'm just grateful they're here, you know, helping out is a blessing. If you're interested in becoming a part of what God's doing through 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com, click on Get Involved, submit your email address. I've noticed that whenever there's a time in my life when um, things might be a little gloomy, the number one thing that I can do is to go serve somebody. And uh, I would encourage anyone else to, uh, it's worth it, come out and do it next time if you didn't make it to this one. and. Um, the Father will really bless you in it. Thank you so much for your prayers and volunteering with 8 Days of Hope. Securing America. President Trump said he'd send the military to the border because of the migrant caravan from Central America. And the Defense Secretary has approved Homeland Security's request to come up with a plan to send troops. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen detailed what they need. We have asked for engineering support, logistics support, uh, engineering support, of course, it would include uh, vehicle barriers, pedestrian barriers. Uh, so we make that request to the Department of Defense. While the president has said the caravan will not be allowed in, some may claim asylum, and those will have to be considered. Nielsen says while many initial claims are considered credible. At the end of that process, only 20 percent are determined by a judge to meet the United States statutory requirements requirements for asylum. She says Congress needs to change the approval process to get more people who need asylum in and weed out those more effectively who don't qualify ahead of time. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Are you willing to break the law? To get back to the United States? Yo quiero entrar y pedir un perdón. He says he wants to apply for pardon for the felony he committed. Can you ask him exactly what happened? Um, ¿cuál, ¿Cuál es tu felonía exactamente? Number three. A third degree felony? Intento de, de matar. Attempt of murder. But not everybody has convictions. We spoke to another man here who said that he was deported about 10 years ago. He was in a roundup in a construction site, got deported. He waited 10 years to come out, but he is from Honduras as well, says he's just going to show up on the uh, border in Tijuana, he thinks, and he's just going to plead his case and ask for asylum. I told him that the administration is not going to grant it to him, but he said he's got no choice. He's going to try anyway. Mm. So welcome back to the program. If you, if you see this, this clip, I can double check and see if it's on here. Um, I don't get every single audio, the video for every single audio clip put, posted, but in the 
the video. You've got this Fox News reporter and you have the interpreter and then you have the the guy who was convicted of attempted murder here in the U.S. and deported. And so he asks him what 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 was the problem? Why were you deported? And he says, oh, I I had a you know, I had a conviction, which I plan to ask to be, you know, forgiven for. And when he says third degree felony, the reporter kind of looks like, well, what was it? And the interpreter says, what was it? And he says attempted murder in Spanish. And I don't know if the, the Fox News reporter understood it, but his eyebrows kind of go up a little and then she repeats it in English and he just gets this blank look on his face like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's what's going on here. We have attempted murderers and people who will soon be committing murder mixed in with women and kids and people who want asylum. Now, again, I just heard in that audio clip that they're going to sort through the people to see who actually deserves asylum. None of them. If they pass a legitimate asylum application center and decide to storm the border, they do not deserve asylum. I want to make one more point, and you can file this away in your back pocket for the next time you hear some bleeding heart liberal who will never have an illegal immigrant or refugee in their community because their community has such a high cost of living that no one else can afford to live there except except academics and people in the technology sector. Here's a, here's a bit of an issue. Remember, we've gone over this before. The reason why Syrians are not refugees when they come to America, no one from the Middle East is. The only people who can be legitimate refugees are people who are somehow bordering the country they seek refugee status in. Their country has to border that country. In order to be a refugee, you have to be leaving a war-torn situation in your homeland and going to one country that is adjacent to your own, sharing a border with your own. That is a refugee. So if you're coming from the Middle East to the United States, you're not a refugee, you're an economic migrant. You may be fleeing a war-torn country, but the country that you should be going to is probably Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, um, Jordan, any one of the countries that's in the Middle East that borders your own. That is where you are supposed to go. Once you pass that first country that you border, you are now an economic migrant seeking better situation than what the country that borders your own can provide to you. And what is especially telling about migrants coming from the Middle East is that they arrive here and immediately begin to judge American society when they passed up a whole bunch of other countries that practice their same religion and the people look like them and speak their language. They passed those countries up because they weren't good enough, only to arrive on American soil to start judging us good old Americans who are paying for them lock, stock and barrel through our tax dollars. Oh, yeah, you're sensing some attitude. I'm glad you can feel it. Here comes some more. When we're talking about people coming from Honduras or Guatemala, they're passing through other countries to get to America. So if you're bordering with Mexico, your place of refuge, if you are a refugee, is Mexico. If Mexico has offered you asylum and you say, nah, I think I'm going to carry on to America, you are no longer a refugee. You're no longer a political asylee. You are an economic migrant, which means no one in that caravan, because they've all been offered temporary shelter and jobs by Mexico, none of them qualify for refugee status. None of them qualify for, you know, uh, the the asylum process where they're fleeing for their lives. Their their lives have ceased to be in danger because they've passed through one or two different countries on their way to America. So please explain to me why I as a taxpayer should be prepared 
to increase my taxes and the work that I have to do per year to fund these economic migrants. Of course they want to live in America. Our welfare system promises them a bounty of 50000 a year or so in benefits. Of course they want to live here. They don't show up for their asylum hearings. If they're told that their asylum claim has been rejected, they're not there at the hearing to find out anyway. They just disappear into the interior of the country and start receiving benefits. And then when the Democrats tell them, hey, we let you in here, that's who they vote for. So they can turn our country in the same kind of pit that they came from. Because if the Democrats are in charge for a sustained amount of time, that's what happens. The Democrats are currently running on a platform with which they can get back into office by taking control of the purse strings in in Congress and undo all of the economic prosperity that Donald Trump has. I mean, he's just been fighting tooth and nail just to get what we have now. That's what they want, because Democratic policies don't look awesome unless everyone's suffering and everyone has something that they can complain about. When people aren't complaining, when people are shopping and saving and spending and, you know, finding recreational time to expand their knowledge base, reading books in their career field or looking at doing an apprenticeship or going back to school to get some training so that they can come up out of the current level of work they're in. You don't need Democrats. Democrats have they're, they're, they're offering you government handouts. They're offering you a place at the table of government buffet benefits so that you can eat from there and get fat so you can't get up out of the chair. That's what that's about. So speaking specifically of these caravan folks, as I've heard people say, uh, media types, they're like, well, if you call it a caravan, that has a negative connotation. Well, what else can it be? 10,000 people, 14,000 people, and another caravan behind them planning on coming to our border and demanding entry, whether or not we want them there. I mean, I, I want to go back to Disney. My husband and I had our honeymoon there, Disney, Florida. And um, we were there for like, I don't even know how many days we were there. And it was just the two of us. And we were running around the park like kids and we'd just gotten married and it was just so much fun. But I don't exactly want to spend the money to go there now because it's so expensive and I'd love to go there just me and my husband again. So what if me and a hundred other Americans who want to go to Disney just showed up and demanded to be allowed to enter? You might say, well, that's not exactly the same thing. Well, it is. I do feel oppressed that I haven't been back to Disney for like six or seven years. And the last time we went was with the kids and we didn't get to stay on the property. We stayed on the beach instead. I want to go stay on the property, and I don't want anyone to tell me I can't do it. Why can't I get you know, 99 of my friends? I have 99 friends and my husband and I and just go down there and walk up to the gate and say, there's 100 of us, and we're coming in, and we're staying on the property, and we don't care what you think about it. I guarantee you Disney wouldn't be for that. Neither would Facebook. If we showed up at their campus 100 strong or even 1,000 strong, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook, you know, another 70 some thousand on on the Facebook page, surely I could get a group of 5000 together who want to go and, you know, go on a tour that might turn into a few overnights at Facebook. You know, they're all into open borders and stuff. I wonder if the Facebook, um, what do they call them? I know they're security guards, they probably have a special name at Facebook, would they allow us to just come in because there's a 1000 of us just come in and spend the night? Use all of Facebook's facilities. Maybe let us into some of the secret rooms so we could see the algorithm at work. Wouldn't that be cool? Take us into the data center and let us see how they've set up their redundant networks. Well, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, my family members in IT. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see those spaces. Maybe into their research and development. I mean, what, what is to stop any of us from taking the same tack and saying, you know, I want something, 
And I don't want to pay for it. And I don't want to follow the regular channels or rules. I just want it. And I want it now. And I'm going to go get it for myself. What's to stop any of us from doing that? Oh, I remember. I wouldn't be allowed to do that because I'm an American citizen and I'm expected to follow the law. These people are not American citizens. And for some reason, a lot of Americans think that because their country is war-torn or has a lot of drug, you know, interdiction problems that, well, they just have no choice. They have to come up here. They do have a choice. They do have a choice. The idea that we have some responsibility to them is really, it's an emotionally driven reaction. Just like you don't have any responsibility to me, should I make a bunch of decisions that cause me to become indigent, America does not have an innate responsibility to care for every country in South America just because we're on the same landmass. We, we don't have to do it. And it's a mistake for people to run around thinking that. And when you, when you hear, you know, I'm going to roll these, some of my, my uh, show prep up. When you hear people saying that, that we have a responsibility, let's side the head with the truth. You know how you get rolled up newspaper, smack them. They need to be informed that we have no responsibility to take care of people from other countries. We do a lot of it because we want to, but we have no responsibility to do it. And then ask them, oh, so you think we should allow ten to 14,000 people to just storm the border and come in? Well, how many of them are you willing to take into your home? If they say, well, I don't have any room in my home. What about your community? How many of them could be relocated to your community? Most of the people who feel like these people should be allowed to enter live in communities with, that will never have a refugee in them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying every community should have refugees in. I'm saying the people who have the least exposure are not the ones who should be making the decision about whether or not they should come in. Our laws should govern this as do all other situations. And I tell you what, I'm still waiting on the day when a police officer or someone, anyone will just maybe even an email that says, okay, you got it. All these other rules, like you having to pay tax and all this other stuff, that's suspended for you. We're suspending that for people who look like you, sound like you, sit behind a red microphone, have a flag hanging behind the, the chair, whatever, whatever reason you feel like giving. If you're going to suspend the rules for everyone else from south of the border, when do Americans get a reprieve? I know I, I, know I could find 70 or 80 or 100,000 people real quick who would sign up for a reprieve from paying taxes or a reprieve from paying all these stupid fees we have to pay. You buy a car, you got to pay all these millions of dollars in fees to register it or you buy a house and you owe all these fees to this one and that one. And, and some of it doesn't even make any sense. It's stuff they've made up. It's an administrative fee. What's it for? Well, it's for administrative things. What things? I, it's a fee we charge everyone. You have to pay it. You not heard that before? So in amongst this group of crazy coming from south of our border, you've got these MS-13 gang members. And just in case you're forgetting what happens when they get inside the country, there's a story over here. An illegal alien MS-13 member who entered the U.S. as an unaccompanied minor. So he was given the opportunity to be in our country because he came here as a kid. Well, he's been caught with a loaded gun in Boston. He's from El Salvador. Yippee. And he was arrested in May while carrying a loaded gun in Boston, Massachusetts. And yesterday in federal court, he pled guilty to one count of being an illegal alien in possession of firearms and ammunition. His name's Elmer Alfaro Hercules. He's now 20. He was arrested in possession of a firearm in East Boston Park. 
a location where numerous MS-13 gang members have been observed and where gang-on-gang violence frequently occurs. Hercules unlawfully entered the United States in 2014 as an unaccompanied minor. In April of 2015, an immigration judge deported him in absentia. Remember what I said about them turning up for these court dates? They don't. So now, because he's a Salvadorian national and pleading guilty uh, after being indicted, he's scheduled for sentencing on January 17th of 2019. So guess who's housing, feeding him, clothing him in between now and then? Taxpayers. He was in possession of the loaded gun. Um, The charge of being an alien in possession of a firearm and ammunition provides for a sentence of no greater than 10 years in prison, three years of supervised release, more dollars, and a fine of $250,000. He also faces deportation upon completion of the sentence, whether he gets one year or 10. They will actually impose the sentence, the federal district court judge, will based on the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors that have to do with the case. They list off a number of people who were involved in adjudicating the matter, which the list is so long, you know, we're talking about probably a million dollars we've spent on legal fees and court fees and things like that, court-appointed attorney, all this stuff for a guy who came here illegally and should have been turned around at the border. At 15, he should have been turned around at the border and told to go back home. He never should have been allowed in this country. Now he's come into the country and learned how to be a professional criminal and will be taking care of him for up to 10 years in federal prison and then deporting him again, where he will probably join a caravan and reenter the country to violently reoffend. And what about this situation am I supposed to be so emotional about? What about that situation lends me to believe that these individuals who have basically declared that they're going to enter this country whether we want them to or not, and they're marching on America, what about that situation I just described to you makes the situation with the caravan, the horde of invaders, what makes that sound any better? When we know MS-13 is embedded in that group, and also people from Bangladesh, and also probably disenfranchised ISIS fighters just looking for a new place to be at home and do some terror. I just wonder where the grown-ups have gone. Where are they? Please come out again. Don't leave us out here by ourselves. Grown-ups, return to the discussion. And especially you grown-ups in government, it's time to, as Lindsey Graham has done, throw off throw off the, the beasts of old and, and come out with common sense. Good night from the heartland. If you're sticking with us, onenewsnow.com is up next.